0: And it is my joy on this stage for one last time to introduce the man of my dreams, the father of our kids, the best father, and your pastor, John Leach. (laughs) You know... I just told Chris, I'm going to get you for this right here. So. <laughs> Thank you for being uh, so kind. That's um, <laughs> it's above and beyond. Uh, a few calculations. Let me, let me do this for you. Uh, I think it was Daniel and Holly this week who brought this to my attention. So I was just kind of verifying their facts. And um, since we moved into the building in May of 2005, through this weekend, uh, 850 weekends we have met. That then translated times three messages uh, on a weekend. It's 2,550 times we preach the gospel from, uh, yeah, up here in this place. And it's an amazing thing. And if you try, I don't know how it's possible to, um, to calculate the number of people who have come to Christ we can take averages, we can, we can look at it uh, without an exaggeration, certainly in the thousands of people that have come to know the Lord here, literally. Um, missions that have gone all over the world, millions and millions of dollars that, uh, that have been given for those things. I, I know for a fact uh, the number of churches planted and helped and just, um, the Lord has used this as a beacon of light, uh, in a world that's not always, um, you know, uh, a, a place that is with a lot of light and God has used it to be a force and a factor in the world. And, um, man, we, we just celebrate that. And Chris was right. Our hope and our glory and, um, you know, what, what makes Jubilee special is not 98, Lone Tree Parkway or a school or an interim place or even a new building. Our hope and our everything is that Jesus's presence is here with us, right? That's, that's what it is. So whether we meet here, whether we meet wherever, as long as we have Jesus, folks, we have everything that we need and we will be okay. And so we look forward to the future uh, because of that. And I've got just one mo- more housekeeping item, uh, I guess two more. On your seat are the little communion elements, and you're going to need those. We thought it would be most appropriate for us to end uh, our time this weekend with two things. We'll take communion together as a family when we're done, and then we have cupcakes. So communion and cupcakes. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong. And would invite you. Uh, if you, if you can to hang out for a little while, maybe you want to, you know, look at the building, uh, again, maybe you want to think about Chris, Chris mentioned, um, you know, the children that have grown up here and maybe even your grandchildren, maybe you, maybe it was you yourself that came to Christ in this place. And maybe you'd like one last opportunity as it's Jubilee to take a look around, um, with that, uh, just one other thing that I want to say, and I wanted to say this publicly, um, you know, when we got this, this property and built this building. I think some of you know the story. Some of you may not. It was a miracle. It was a series of miracles that God has done for this church along the way. We literally had started in a school, moved to a storefront. How do you make that big leap from a storefront into, um, into owning a building and a piece of property? You really, you have to have the favor of God to do it. Um, And the Lord, right, right, right while we were literally praying, God, what do we do? How can we do this? It just seems impossible. The Lord made a way where there seemed to be no way. And there was another church that was here before us. And how many of you know, it's usually all the stuff that comes before you that helps you do the things that you're doing, right? We're so quick to think it's us, but the truth is there were people that people that sacrificed long before we ever got here that made things possible for us. And there was a church before we ever came along. Uh, for those that have lived in the area, this sat as an open field, and right out where the parking lot is now was a big cross that sat in the field. And if you drove by, you know, for years we'd look at it and think, obviously it's a church, but you know, when are they going to build it? And and I began to pull my car over here on Lone Tree Parkway and. Pull up on the on the curb and I'd get out and I'd walk this property, not knowing who it belonged to or what was going to happen, but I would tell the Lord, give it to me, give it to me, God. If you give it to me, I promise you we'll build a church on this thing. Not even knowing whose it was, but just, you know, driving by week after week and and month after month, and just not seeing anything happen with it. And came to find out that another church with a pastor that became a friend of mine, his name was Doug. Uh, had owned it through a denomination and they uh, had arrived um, at a series of unfortunate events that kept their church from being able to go forward. And they had made the very difficult decision to close their doors. And he called us and said, John, our church feels like your church is supposed to have this property and we want to make it possible for you to get it. I just, the way that the Lord does what he does, you know, I is not seen ear is not heard. It's never even entered into our imagination. All that God has planned for us if we love him. And I watched the Lord do this and give us this. And, um, at that time, Doug did one of the most generous things ever sold us this property for simply, um, what they needed to be able to finish well. And, uh, it it was, it was more than reasonable. $250,000 is what we bought this property for. They, they did that for us. And he also told his people who were in his church uh, as they were, you know, not going to be able to go forward. He said, I would commend you to come to Jubilee and to be a part of, you know, uh, Pastor John's church. And he said this, many of you have given your blood, sweat, tears, your finances, your prayers for us to have this piece of property. And even though our church won't build on it, a church will be built on it. And maybe you feel connected to that. And so become a part of Jubilee. And there were probably half a dozen families or so that joined us at that time. And I remember I had a family that came and said, pastor, we we appreciate so much that this is going to go forward and we love Jubilee and we're with you. But if you ever move on, it's the piece of property that God has called us to. We feel like we're stewards of that. So don't take it in the wrong way, but we probably will stay with the property if you ever go anyplace else. And those folks have been so diligent with us through the last 16 years. And I know I've got a couple of families um, that are not going to make the transition with us. They're going to stay because it was that property that they, they literally um, gave everything to make sure that this could happen. And so I wanted to say to those people, right, I bless you. I thank you well done. God used you as you stay now and work with Thrive Church. Represent Jubilee well in that transition. Represent the property well. Hold on to God's vision for it, right? Um, I hope I'm only talking to about three people. I hope the rest of you are all coming with us, but I know there were a couple of families who felt very much that the Lord had put that in their heart to steward. And so I just want to let you know, we bless you in that endeavor and, uh, you know, well done, do well, uh, in that right there. Okay. Let me transition. We're in the last message of a series in Philippians. Philippians is four chapters. We've been teaching from each chapter. We're in chapter four this weekend. We're going to wind up, uh, the series today and then Uh, Next week, when we go into the interim building, we have a new series that we start that I think that you will appreciate uh, and enjoy. Uh, This is Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Paul is writing to this church from a prison in Rome. He loves this church. He established this church. This is the first church in Europe where the gospel goes forward throughout all of Europe. And so Paul had a heart for this church. And even though he finds himself in a prison in Rome, he's writing letters to make sure that this group of believers is doing okay. And they are dealing with some really difficult things in life at this point. There's a lot of persecution that's going on. Their leader has been in prison. They find themselves stretched and pushed and just going through it. And there's just a lot of negative. News. Can you imagine that negative news is not something new in our day? But negative news has been in this world for a long time. Imagine. And so Paul is writing to this group of people and gives them some advice on how to deal with all of the yuck that's out there and see if this isn't good advice. Finally, brothers and sisters, look at this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Yes or no, that's great advice right there. Yeah. And in the middle of the day and the age and the time that we live in, man, there is so much negative out there, so much fear out there, so much just constant yuck, yuck, yuck that's going on. And I don't think that Paul uh, is, telling this group of believers, ignore the stuff that's out there. I think he's just simply saying, instead of letting your mind, feed on the negative all the time, make sure and look for what God is doing in this world. Look for what is true. Look for what is right. Look for what is noble. And let your mind feed on those things, not just on the negative all the time. I think it's true that whatever we feed on is what we become like. And even as a believer, You come to Christ and you give your heart to him if you don't control what's going on in this area of your life. This six or seven inches right here is where the battle for your life is fought. And if you give this up or don't pay attention to it, the one who controls your mind controls your life. You have a choice in that right there. And that's what Paul is saying. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Eight things that he's telling them, make sure you look at life through this lens and not just the lens that the world has or that the enemy has. So when I read the scripture, it reminds me also of Romans 12 too, where Paul writes these words. Can you agree with this? Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be, what's that word? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is and his will, these three things, good, pleasing and perfect. We've got to be renewed in our mind. And just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean it's a one-time affair. Being renewed is daily and ongoing as long as you live in this world. You have to have a renewed mind. How do you know your mind's being renewed? When you look at God's will and you can go everything going on around you that God is working in is good, pleasing, and perfect. Then you know your mind is being renewed. And if you think anything else about God's will, like he doesn't care, he's forgotten, he's ignoring you, that's the proof you need a renewed mind. I had a great chance uh, over the last four weeks in particular to practice this scripture right here. (laughs) I'll share with you in just a moment. If you're taking the notes and you want the fill in the blanks, the online, here's the first one. Transformation is necessary for all believers. You've got to have a transformed mind. There are eight ways that your mind can be renewed. That's what Paul is pointing out. Find the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, and think on these things. Feed on these things. Use this as the lens to handle life. Our current situation, man... I get to practice these things right now. Not just preach about them, but practice them. (laughs) So we're in a transitional time, right? Uh, My plan for those that have walked through the last couple years with me, my plan was that we would exit out of this building and into the new building so that the, the, uh, the interim time would only be a move from here to the new place. And that's not what turned out. And you know, when we built this building, there were two things I told myself don't forget these two things. We were in the construction project for this. And at the time, the church was smaller, the staff was smaller. Anybody in this room that's ever built anything a house, a business, anything uh, these two things are true yes or no. It costs more and it takes longer. And I told myself, James, I told myself, don't forget this. It costs more. And it takes longer. And you know what I did over the last 16 years? I forgot that. so that we entered into this time and I told myself, okay, I'm going to insulate myself from the last one. I had to be the guy doing the finances and I had to be the general contractor and I had to handle all of the things, all the meetings, right? And this time we have a bigger staff and the church is bigger. And so I had someone who could handle the finances and pastor Todd can handle all the stuff going on with the construction. And what that really meant is that these two people just simply come to me and tell me all the bad news rather than me hearing it firsthand. That's really what's changed. And so Todd this week came and said, hey, I got some news from the builder. This was just Friday. And some of you are aware of this right now. You know, inflation is out there, man. It really is out there. It's not just something that you read about in the newspaper. Things are costing more, and especially in construction right now. And things are, uh, you know, there's a, a supply and demand issue right now. Lumber is one of those things that's easing a little bit, but that's been a big one. Uh, Another one is labor. If you're trying to hire people right now, yes or no, man, labor is tough to find right now. You go to certain restaurants and they can't even be open all day long because they can't find enough people to help out. I mean, it really is an issue right now. So we're dealing with that in labor on the construction part. But the biggest one was this. This is what we got on this Friday. They said steel, S-T-E-E-L, steel is a tough one. So why would that matter to us? Because when you build a commercial project and not a home project, you don't build it out of wood, you build it out of steel. So all of your two by fours, all of your framing, all of those things are steel. And here's why, if it catches on fire, they don't want it to burn like wood. They want it to be able, steel doesn't burn, right? So like this platform, I'm gonna show you a picture here in a few minutes. It's all steel underneath here. It's not wood. And so they said, we need to order the steel. They don't order it until your plans are approved because... It could be very costly if you don't get the approval. So we ordered the steel this coming week and we just found out that there's going to be 12 weeks from the time we order it till we get it. And they said, there's a lot of reasons. There's boats sitting in ports that can't get their stuff unloaded. I don't know if you've seen that. Some of it is that coming out of COVID a lot of the foundries ramped down and as they're trying to come back online there's so much back order that it's just tough to get the product. But what he was saying to me is you've got 12 weeks from the time we order it till we get the steel and immediately my mind maybe yours has already done it on the front side it's 12 weeks but what does that mean then on the back side? Yeah. Yeah. There's three more months of interim. How many of you love the way I just worked that into the (laughs) (laughs) preparing the way? (laughs) And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Three more months of interim. And remember, my plan was that we would go from here to the next one. And now I know it's going to be several months that we are making our way through it. And I have two choices about that, man. I can look at this through the lens of the enemy is just having a field day and people aren't doing me right and life is not fair. Or I can look at what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy and then stand up here and not be a phony when I say that to you, but actually be living that right there. Now, That's not to mean on Friday that immediately everything was pure and noble. It wasn't. I thought Pastor Todd was a jerk for bringing me that information. Not having a better answer than, hey, what are you going to do on the backside of this project? (laughs) I'm teasing. It's not Todd's fault in any way. But a choice to decide what I'm going to do with it and whether or not I'm going to let God continue to renew my mind. Because listen to this. If I don't let the Lord do this. And when I get up here, how can I lead yeah. if it's not coming from what's noble and true and right and praiseworthy, right? Yes. And it's like that in big things and it's like that in small things. It's the way that it works. And it is a chance for transformation to continue to happen in my life. So in our current situation, man, I have to control how I think about this because transformation has to happen. And if it doesn't, then the enemy really does have a chance to come through here and mess things up. My new saying, I told our staff this and I started telling our church this the last couple of weeks. The Bible says that the enemy is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So our decision is this. If the devil comes here to eat, let's make sure he starves to death. We don't have to participate. We don't have to give him anything. Let's let him go someplace else because he can't find what he wants to eat here. What do I mean by that? Look, this situation, right? I can let the devil have a field day right now. I can curse and I can be negative. I can think that God has been unfair. I can think all those negative things or I can stand here and go, I know God. I know God works for my good. And ultimately there must be something that he's going to do that if we will cooperate, stay in the right place, we'll get the blessing out of this, not the curse out of this. That's how we live life. And that's how we go forward. Here's the second fill in the blank if you want it. You can know God's will. Have you ever said, I wish I knew what God was doing. I wish I knew what God was up to. I wish I knew what God wanted. I wish I knew what his will is. According to the Bible and the scripture I just read from you, to you from Romans 12 is that you can know the will of God. And the will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect. Yep. Amen. Now do you believe that or did you just say amen? Because theologically it's correct. So we get the chance every day to play that out. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And that doesn't mean that if you're struggling or being tested, that that's not God's will. In fact, the truth of the matter is Jesus said in this world, you'll have trouble, but fear not. I've overcome the world. It's what we do with what happens to us that decides who we are and how we go forward, right? I want to be renewed. I want to know God's will and I want to do it. So as I'm like praying this week and going through all these things, and those of you that have been around, you know we just came through a COVID wildfire that hit our staff, my family, my grandchildren. <laughs> Good grief. So many of our pastors struggling with what happened. I had a couple of them that got COVID pneumonia. Didn't even know there was such a thing. COVID pneumonia. It's not bad enough to have pneumonia, COVID pneumonia. Just been a really difficult moment in time, and the ability to practice that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. By the way, I don't believe it's God's will for my staff to have COVID, but I believe that God can do good. Yeah through anything that happens I believe that and I'm living that and I'm practicing that and I'm trying to stay in this place so while I'm doing it this week I find this scripture I've read this a thousand times but have you ever like has there ever been like a time where scripture it doesn't necessarily have a context other than it's true but then all of a sudden there's a context in your life where the scripture hits you right between the eyes that ever happened to you so let me show you one that God hit me right between the eyes with uh, this week uh, it really felt like it was right between the eyes uh, James 1 two through four, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when everything goes well in your life. (laughs) That makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's almost ludicrous. Is it possible? And if I asked you, honestly, how are you doing with this? Have you learned To count it all joy when you face a trial in your life. So here's what I could tell you. Just being honest with you, right? Sometimes I do better with this than other times. I measure spiritual growth sometimes by how I do with this. Mm -hmm. You know you're growing spiritually. Not when you're happy because everything's going well. Anybody can do that. You know you're growing spiritually when there's adversity. And you can still praise God and believe what you're saying. That's how you know you're growing spiritually. One of the ways. So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Look at these three words, not lacking anything. Wouldn't it be an awesome place in life as a believer to mature enough where you don't lack anything? You have everything that you need. You can handle every situation and nothing knocks you sideways. And I'm not there yet, but I'm better than I was a year ago. And I'm going to be better a year from now. And how does that happen? You got to make it through these difficult things. It doesn't just happen in the easy things. I wish it was. If it was just being happy in the good things, I'd get an A+. Would you do good too? But it's in this thing, man, where we're tested. <laughs> we come to the final weekend in this building. Not our final weekend as a church, but the final weekend in this building. So I want to make a couple statements and I want to show you a couple things and we'll take communion. And then I intentionally kept it shorter so that we would have time to fellowship. So, first statement I think people think sometimes that I'm selling when I say that our best days are in front of us. I think people think that that's what I'm supposed to say, or that's what I'm hoping is true. But let me tell you how I can prove to you that I believe it. If I thought that our best days are connected to this building, like it's never going to get any better than this, and this is the best we can do, then I would be an idiot to let go of this building, I truly believe that when you follow Jesus, your best days are always in front of you. And that doesn't mean that there's not ill-advised wins or problems or trouble. It just means that as we go through those things, God is working for our good so that we will be better when it's all said and done. So I'm not gambling by letting go of this building, hoping that the Lord's going to cause the dice to go the right direction. I, by faith, am following what I know God said to me. Follow me, because every time I followed him and given up the thing that I had so that he could put another thing in my hand, it's always better following Jesus. Always better. My point simply is, if you want to know if I really believe our best days are in front of us, I'm proving it to you by being willing to give up something that is good right now for something that I know is going to be better. And if my best days are in front of me as pastor, that means that your best days are in front of you as church. It's the truth of the matter. Jubilee. A reminder. Where did that funky name come from? You know, when we started the church, it was um, popular. It was like uh, the thing to do was to call it something community church. So like when we were coming down, we were trying to pick the name. We thought, okay, Lone Tree Community Church, Highlands Ranch Community Church, Uh, Denver Community Church. And it seemed like all of those names had already been taken by somebody else, but it's not what the Lord wanted. Right before we moved down here, I was on staff in Northern Colorado and I was preaching a series the weekend. In fact, it was a two-part series right before we were leaving to come plant the church. And the Lord gave me a message, listen to this, from Leviticus 25. And you know, if you get a message from Leviticus 25, it has to be from God. It has to be. It was the last time you like got something great out of Leviticus. Leviticus means the law. So Leviticus 25 talks about the year of Jubilee. And here's what it was to Israel. In the 49th year, they would... Begin by blowing the shofar, the trumpet, and they would announce that the year of Jubilee is coming. The 50th year was the year of Jubilee. And three things happened for a Jewish person in the year of Jubilee. Number one was this, wherever you were in the world, you would come back to Israel because that was the place of promise. That was the place of connection. That was the place of family. So you returned to your family wherever you were. The second one, listen how cool this was. Any debt that you had in the 50th year was forgiven. Wouldn't you love to write on your visa bill? (laughs) Jubilee. Pastor John said, Jubilee. And then the third one was this. The land to Israel was everything. It's the covenant. It's the promise. It's the inheritance. And so if any of the land had had been sold or had been uh, mortgaged or you had lost it for whatever reason, in the 50th year, God's promise, all the land was returned To the people that it belonged to. And I was reading that message when the Lord began to speak to me about what does it mean for today? Is it just some historical issue or is there a meaning for it today? In Luke chapter four, the very first time that Jesus ministered, he stood up, And he said these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news, to set at liberty, the captive, to open blinded eyes, to heal the brokenhearted. And then listen to this and to proclaim the year of God's favor. And that literally means the year or the time of Jubilee. And so I just studied it real quickly. Jesus is the perpetual jubilee. You don't have to wait for 50 years to come into a jubilee. Jesus is the jubilee because, listen, Jesus connects us to other people in Christ so that we return to our family. Jesus sets us free from the debt of sin that was owed to the enemy. He has released us from all of those things and we are free people because of Jesus. And then last but not least the promises that God has for you. He has awesome things for you. Eye is not seen. Ear is not heard. Neither is it entered into the imagination of a person. Everything that God has prepared ahead of time for those who love him. And God told me, John, these three things. Tell people I have a family. Make your church a place where people can connect and it's a family. Tell people they're free. Tell them that they're no longer are slaves. They're not in debt, that I set them free. And then tell them last but not least that I've got promises for them, that they can come into the Promises of God that they can have the Jubilee. And then he said, and that's what I want you to call the church. So I was thinking, Jubilee Community Church. No, I was thinking, God, Jubilee. Come on. It's hard enough for people to go to church. You're gonna give them one more thing to overcome. (laughs) Jubilee. Lo and behold, man, instead of following what everybody else was doing, we called it what God told us to call it and make it what he wanted it to be. And how many people have been set free because Jubilee is here? And how many people have found family because Jubilee is here? And how many people have discovered promises, calls, blessings, because Jubilee is here? Our past, been a good past. Um, I'll show you a couple of pictures. Maybe for a lot of you, you know, Maybe they won't matter to you. Some of you will get a kick because you've taken this journey with us. And um, it's just fun to look at the pictures. To my family that's sitting up here in the front row, my children, uh, I didn't ask your permission to show some of these uh, pictures uh, because it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission at times. So uh, let me show you. Uh, So this is looking out of the back of the church across the street. This is before the playground uh, was in there. Uh, this is when you're in the front, and you'll notice, go to the next picture, Jeff, if you will. You can see that they still have all the scaffolding up uh, around the cross right there. So we were building the church. One of the things uh, that Lone Tree said to us is, uh, in our minds, we, we kind of thought that uh, you wouldn't put up a big cross with your church. And I was thinking, in my mind, uh, why would you build a church without a cross? <laughs> And we won. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Go ahead and you can go. Look at that guy right there. Uh, this, there's the steel. I wonder if we could take that now and move forward. Slow down on the pictures just a little bit. This, this uh, is out in the foyer. And this was my bright idea. I, uh, we wanted to build a welcome center. So I put it right in the middle. And I built this round thing. And then we had a big round desk where people could kind of stand in it, faced out. And I thought this would be a great place for people to come to. turned out that on the Starship Enterprise, uh, where you have that room where people can phase in and phase out, people thought it looked like that and everybody was afraid to go to this area right here. So I had to tear that back out. That's David and that's Ames and that's me. There's Amy, yeah, it's my girl. There's Katie. There's Chris, okay, here's a comparison. Look at how dark this is compared to this. Now, have you ever noticed that when a person's elected president, they look so young when they first go into office. And then by the time they come out, they look like they're next to old age. It happens just, I won't say any more about that. Go to the next one. That's the backyard. And just some more of that. That's the sign in the front before they put the stone on it. That's in here in this room. More of that. That's out in the foyer. Downstairs. Out in the front. Yeah, still out in the front there. Okay. Don't, don't move forward on this picture. I want to show you something that God's done for us. That's really cool. This was the Wednesday before we opened the church to the public and God had done another miracle for us. And so we felt it was only right to give God all the glory for that. So I brought my family, which were only seven of us, Chris and I and our five kids. So, uh, you know, you can see us at the top and Amy and Kate, David on the right, Daniel, and then Brent, and the seven of us gathered right about where you guys are sitting, right there, and we took communion. And I told my children, it's worth it to serve the Lord. It's worth it to sell out and live your whole life for Jesus. God will take you places and will let you experience things your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard. Look at me. And your imagination is not big enough to know what God will do. If you will sell out completely to him, you can't put one foot in one foot out and think it works that way. You can't be double minded. You can't serve God on Sunday and then the enemy for the rest of the week. You have to sell out completely to Jesus. Bow your knee, go one direction burn the ships and never look back. Listen to me. I told my children, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let me show you another picture. This was at the 20th anniversary of the church and things had grown and they were good. And that's standing here. And we just celebrated God's goodness. But from 2018 till this past Wednesday, when my family was gathered, look at this next picture. So, in 16 years, we've gone from seven to 23. The Lord has almost three and a half times blessed my family. So, this past Wednesday, look, I told my grandchildren, it's worth it to serve Jesus. It's worth it to sell out to Him. It's worth it to give your whole life. You can't put one foot in and one foot out, you can't be double minded. You can't come to church on the weekend and then live for the enemy during the week and expect that it'll work. But listen to me, I have proof that if you'll serve Jesus with your whole life, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the imagination, the heart of a person, all that God has. Mom, this is your heritage too. You're the one who came before that I was talking about and made these things possible for today. Serve Jesus, church. Serve Jesus. Not because you get something out of it. I'm just telling you that's the byproduct. Serve Jesus because Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Hear your pastor say it. He's worth whatever you have to go through to walk with him, man. Jesus is wonderful. Yeah. Is there another one or is that the last one? Yeah, I think that's it. Our future, 2021 and beyond. I'm excited for what God is doing. I'm excited that the teaching and training center of the Lord has chosen to let us do that. I'm excited because like laser focus, the thing that we've done over the past 23 years will now become multiplication in the people that will find Jesus, the people that will be called, the missions that we'll do, the work that the gospel will go forward in. As things get darker around us, the light in here is going to shine brighter. It's our chance, man. It's our season. It's our time. We don't look back and go, Hey, it was a good run. Now we look forward to what this next season is going to bring. I'm more excited at 57 to serve Jesus than I was when we built this. And I was 40 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm more excited right now. This is our time, our time, not my time, our time. So I want to say this last thing, and then I'll close with communion. I want to thank people that have made this possible. Chris said it, but I want to, from my heart, say this too. Anyone that's ever attended a meeting here, that's prayed prayers, that's given money, that's gone on mission trips, that's raised your kids here, that's participated in the heart of Jubilee and what we stand for and what we think about. The Bible says in several different places, particularly in the New Testament, that God keeps good records. I'm paraphrasing a bit. He keeps good records and he, puts in our account the places where we participated in the moving forward of the gospel. So that when I mentioned thousands of people coming to Christ, if you've participated in Jubilee, those things are deposited in your account so that when you stand in front of the Lord and he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, what do you think he's saying that about? It's about you being a part of his kingdom and the things that he's done. And sometimes we feel like, I really haven't done that much. Any prayer you've prayed. Any encouragement you've given. Any missions that you've been a part of. Don't you know that our God is faithful, doesn't forget, and is a rewarder. Thank you. I was reminded even even between the two services, two things. Um, my cousin, Robert Andrews, died in service to his country. And my uncle and aunt, when we were building this building, we're trying to get the money, right? And my uncle and aunt, um, if you're in the military, there's a life insurance policy that goes to your nearest relative. And Robert wasn't married. And so the insurance policy went to my uncle and aunt, John and Jerry Andrews. And my uncle and aunt gave that money to us in His name so that the gospel could go forward. And then the other one, and there's been so many people that have done so much. I know, I don't want it to come across like these two are above, but they were just two that they were bittersweet, right? Um, Mallory Smith, Mark and Cindy. Our church was brand new and had a group of kids that went on a mission trip and the van rolled and killed a 17 year old girl whose mom and dad had come to help us start the church. And in the same way there was a settlement and Mark and Cindy had come to us and said to us, this money is not for us to spend on our future. The devil took Mal, but we believe that a thousand can take her place so pastor, take this money and make sure that happens. And the people that have big and small and in different ways have done so many things to make this possible. Look, Chris and I don't think for one minute we did this. We think you did this. And we just want to say thank you. From the bottom of our heart, thank you, man. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for riding with us during all the years or weeks or hours. Thank you for the future. Grab your communion. If you aren't familiar with it, uh, there's a piece of cellophane. Pull it back. And there's a wafer. Grab that wafer and hold on to it. Don't eat it. We're going to do it together as a family. And then the foil is right below that. Pull the foil back. And again, don't drink the juice. We're going to do it as a family. Take a quick drink of water. Hold on. Um, That picture that you saw of our Amy. um, She at that time was at youth with a mission in uh, 2005. And she flew home to be with us that weekend because, you know, our family, it wasn't me or me and Chris. Our family came to plant this church and everybody participated and Ames. We wanted her to be here for that significant event. And so it was just about six months prior to that, that I had taken her over to Kona and left her there to begin her youth with a mission experience. She spent four years there. And um, it was my first child that left the house. It was a girl. So my heart was breaking. Uh, Not that it didn't break when the boys left, but it was a little different. And when I got back, Chris and I just, all we could do was just cry for a while. Just was, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not, but it was just traumatic. And so whenever we would set the dinner table and we didn't have dinner together every night, but when we would set the dinner table, we continued to set a place for her at our table because it just felt right. And of course, you know, the other kids, Amy's the oldest. So the other kids wanted to move up. Like, can we have her chair? No. (laughs) Can we have her room? No. I just kept those things because even though she wasn't there, she was there. It belonged to her. And whenever she would come to town, she would never call and say, hey, am I welcome at the house? Is it, do I still have a place there? She knew. She knew. She knew. At my dad's table, I'm always welcome. Maybe you haven't been here in a long time. Maybe you're not sure if you're welcome. Maybe you don't know that at your dad's table, he's continued to set a place that only you can fit in that it won't be given to somebody else or taken away from you. Maybe we don't know each other. So maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe we do and you've forgotten. Wherever you're at in this paradigm, I just want you to know, you're welcome at your father's table. There's a place for you. We want you to come close. We don't want you to stay on the outside. People here that love you and want you. You belong here. So feel like it's your place. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it. And he said to his disciples, take and eat and remember me when you do so. It's given to you. Our Jesus loves us. The ultimate proof of his love is that he gave his life for us. When the Bible instructs us to remember him, It's not to remember historically what he did. It means literally to go into the past and to bring it into the present. Jesus is not good because 2,000 years ago he died. He is good because his sacrifice is right now in your life today. If you need healing, he offers healing. If you need reconciliation, he offers reconciliation. If you need mercy, he offers to you mercy. He's here to meet you. He loves you. Bring him into your present. Father, thank you for the body of Christ. We take it again with great appreciation and understanding that a high, high price was paid for us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. We remember you now. Let's eat together. So the Bible says, in the same manner, he took the cup, he lifted it to the Father. He gave thanks for it. And then he told the disciples, this is my blood representing a new covenant. He actually said it's a better covenant because it's based on better promises. In the Old Testament, the covenant was, I will if you will. But in the new covenant, it's this. Even if you're unfaithful, I will always remain faithful because I cannot deny myself. It's the ultimate. Jesus loves you. And this is the proof. Let's drink together.